If you could use a strong, smart, savvy, and young role model in the financial world, keep listening. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success, where every week we share the story of one inspiring woman and let her tell you how she got to where she is today, including all the bumps along the way. In the spotlight, we've got a woman who makes her living in finance. She is the co-founder of 12 Points Wealth Management, where she helps families and individuals, and especially women, make smart financial decisions. But that's not all this story is about. This story is about a woman with an unstoppable work ethic, instilled in her by her very big, very vocal, half-Italian, half-Irish family heritage. Her grandparents were immigrants, and their stories about what it took for them to succeed in the United States are what shaped her. I hope she'll share their words of wisdom with us. Her name is Francesca Federico, and this is her story. Francesca, welcome to the show. Hi, Candy. How are you? I'm so happy to have you here. We've been trying to put this together for a while. I know, we really have. Let's start by explaining what 12 Points is. You are the co-founder with a great guy named David Chapman. Tell me how the two of you came together and what does 12 Points mean in the first place? 12 Points is actually the 12 Points of the Eagle Scout Law. My business partner, David, is an Eagle Scout. And the first principle of the 12 Points is to be trustworthy. When we founded our firm back in 2014... Financial services was the least trusted industry in America. We started our business at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney. And in 2014, when we set out to find 12 points, we wanted to change the industry. We wanted to give it a name that we were proud of. Both of us come from immigrant families who work really hard and trust is instilled in our DNA. If we were going to build a firm, that's what we wanted to build it on. I am not an Eagle Scout. I don't think I could be, but maybe nowadays, yes. But there's some other points in there that are important to us. Loyalty friendly, courteous, helpful, brave. So I think whether you're an Eagle Scout or not, it's easy to live your life by those points. And when you're a part of our firm, that's what we want to be to our clients. You know, when you co-found a company with somebody, you have to really like them because you got to work with them all day long. Tell me a little (laughs) bit about how the partnership works. I always joke around and say David is like my work husband. He and I are the best of friends. Not only do we have trust and we want our clients to have trust in us, But the level of trust we have with each other is something that I wish every business partner could have in their other partner. And besides that, he's also like family to me. Getting up to work every day with someone who you trust, love and admire makes your job and your life a lot easier. I don't think I could do what I do every day without him. And I think he'd say the same of me. So it's very nice to have each other. I think that's what makes our firm. We talked a little bit when I was introducing you about the people that you help. You help families, individuals, and especially women make smart financial decisions. And since this program is about and by and for women, let's jump into that. Tell me a little bit about that specialty and how you help women understand not only their finances, but their businesses. When you think about women in finance, generally, especially over the last, I would say, decade, men tend to take on that role in families. And I really believe it's changing. I was brought up by a lot of strong women on my mom's side of the family. They all held very big positions. Some of them, the first female in their positions. My grandmother was the first female ever OSHA director on the Eastern Seaboard. It was important to me. And then in going to a all-girls high school in Hingham, they instilled it in me even more. And I think that everyone should, especially women, have a grasp on their finances. 
And, you know, finance, even the word can be daunting. So I think if you can talk to people in layman's terms, you're there to help them. And, you know, you don't have to get into stocks and bonds and things like that, but simple things like budgeting and saving. So having someone that they can talk to and they can trust, I think goes a long way. And seeing how my role models, like my mom and my grandmother, did so well, I want to do that for other people. Tell me what you think are the attributes of a successful female business owner. That's a great question. I'm thinking of one of my clients right now. She is so confident, but she's also an extremely good listener. Every time I'm at her office, she's putting her employees before her. She's listening to them and she truly when I talk to her, says, you know, I just, I want to make my company better, but I do that by making the lives of my employees better. So it's not always the product, it's the people. And I think that women business owners are great listeners. They have a level of confidence and they don't really care about anything else except the people because they know that's what makes up their business. You know, I think about mom and pop stores, restaurants that will never open again. What do you say to the small business person, male or female, about the climate now and what's ahead for them? Some people that I talk to hate change, but I truly believe that with change, there's always some good that could come out of it. It is unfortunate that we're going to lose a lot of different businesses because the world has changed and the world has changed really quickly in a year. But I think that there's a lot of businesses that have come out of this pandemic that will continue to grow. While you may have lost a business, this is a period of innovation and change. So there's gonna be new businesses out there that people can start, and there's gonna be more services and needs. I mean, if you asked someone last year about warehouses, they were vacant, they were empty. You know, people are looking at these malls that are vacant. Now we have a warehouse shortage because of how many things are being shipped and we need them stored. So I think you just have to be nimble. You have to be flexible and open to what's going to happen. You know, there's such a thing as American ingenuity. And if we ever needed it, we need it now to reinvent Mm -hmm. ourselves in so many ways. And I have to hope that that entrepreneurship aspect of being an American is going to work for people who may have lost everything. Even just look at the restaurant industry. For an industry to be ripped down like that, to be closed, and then to find ways in their little space to open up, to make it safe, to split the tables apart, to come up with ideas, to make kits at home. I mean, the ingenuity in the restaurant industry has really shocked me. And it does go to show you how hard people can work, especially if they start thinking outside of the box. Do you think that the pandemic has changed people's attitudes about saving for the future? Yes, I do. I think that no one could have imagined a pandemic to happen. And within three weeks, you were in it and you were locked down. And I think the first thing people started to look at was, am I going to have a job in a few weeks? Do we have enough money to pay our bills? Where are we spending our money? Where can we save? And I would even argue that across our our 401k plans, we've got about 6,000 participants. And I talk to a lot of them each year. More of them now are saving not only in their retirement account, but in savings accounts. And people have really paid a lot more attention to it. You've recently received awards for your work around your 401k accounts. What should we know about our 401k that you may need to tell people that they might not realize? The biggest challenge I find in talking to participants in 401ks is they confuse what the match is versus the maximum you can put away. 
I was even talking to one of my girlfriends the other day. And she said, what can I be doing to save or invest more? And I said, are you putting the max away in your 401k? She says, well, I'm putting in enough to get the match. Well, the match is only three to 5%, maybe more, but still 5% of your salary, the max you can put away is 19,500. So people often confuse that. And I think the best tip I can give people is figure out how you can get that 19,500 put away each and every year, because those are the women that I see in their 40s who tend to have the most flexibility because they were good savers when they were younger. What kind of a disposition, Francesca, do you need to have in order to handle investing in stocks? It's not for the faint of heart, is it? (laughs) I keep saying, I keep leaving my crystal ball in the car. I got to get that out and clean it off. But stocks can be daunting for a lot of people. I think if if it is something you want to invest in, try to figure out your risk and your comfort level. You don't need a financial advisor like myself. There's a lot of information online. But if you're someone who likes to be coached or maybe when you go to the gym, you have a trainer, an advisor can help you with that. So they can help you say, okay, how much a month do you want to save? And then where should we put it? Do we want to invest in things that you like, brands that you like, things like that? So it doesn't have to be as complicated as a New York Times paper or, or the news can make it. It can be as simple as how much do I want to put away and what is it that I like to invest in? Has the pandemic changed how you and David are doing business with 12 points. Are people needing just as much emotional support (laughs) as they need financial advice? That's a great question. I will say it's changed the way we do business in the fact that everything now is pretty much electronically and over the phone. But it's also changed the frequency in which we're speaking to our clients. We not only want to hear from them, but we want to check in on them and make sure they're okay. Money is very emotional. Having enough money for retirement is emotional. So you need to be speaking to people and making sure one, they're okay. And two, letting them know that yes, it's going to be okay. We've put a plan in place. This is why we have a plan in place. It has changed the way in which we see our clients, but it hasn't changed the way in which we want to make our clients feel. And that's secure and loved and that we're here for them. Let's go back to your childhood, because this is an interesting story. No doubt about it. Our parents, our grandparents, our extended family, I like to say they pour our foundation, and it is from there that we grow. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and paint us a picture of your family. So our family is probably one of the loudest ones. I'm doing my best here to talk quietly on this microphone, but I come from a very loud and loving family, and... I have Italian family members that actually pour foundation for a living. Um, My my grandfather came here from Abruzzi in Salmona, Italy, and he started a business that now my brothers run. It's a third generation automotive business in Dorchester. On the flip side, my mom's 100% Irish. My grandfather was the foreman at the Boston Globe. And as children, we used to go and see all the pressmen, see them printing papers. My mom ended up becoming the medical director there. My grandmother worked for OSHA, so I come from a family of a lot of strong, loud, loving, and I would say the most generous people ever. And my grandfather from Italy used to tell me, it doesn't really matter what people think of you, you need to make them feel something about you. So you need to be loving, you need to be caring, and not everyone's going to have money. So if someone's in need, you need to help them. Um, And I take that to my heart because 
as a coming here with $10, not being able to speak English. He made quite the life for himself. And I think my brothers have now set one up, but we never even had a website. Our business was all word of mouth. And when you went over there, you got treated like family. And I try to instill that 12 points with my clients as well. I'm fascinated by the story about your grandmother. Tell me a little bit about her profession and her life. So my grandmother grew up in the Depression, and she grew up with five uh, brothers and sisters. So if you went into her house, when you opened up her fridge, if you opened up the tapioca pudding container, there was always something else in it. The woman never threw a thing out. She was very flexible, loving, and just loud and fun. And at her wake and funeral, I've never seen a louder room. The funeral director came up to me and said, this is like a party. And I said, that's the way that she lived her life. But she helped everyone. And one of my favorite things we would do with her is every Christmas Eve, when there was a local food shop that would close down, they would throw the wreaths away. And she would go and pick them all up. And we would go to families that she knew that didn't have any money and would drop the wreaths off, as well as homeless shelters and things. She'd give you the shirt off her back, louder than life, and she worked seven days a week. Talk to me about your mom. So my mom was very much like my grandmother. She was extremely strong. She's loving. Unfortunately, she passed in uh, two years ago in October, and she worked at the Boston Globe. She put herself through school at night to get her MBA with four kids, and she became the head of the medical department at the Boston Globe, which eventually became the New York Times. And she was, they called her the lady of laborers, but she would bring what the laborers said right up to the executive team. And anyone, I think, that worked at the Boston Globe or the New York Times now knew her. One of my favorite friends of hers was Bill Brett. He's an amazing photographer. He came and he photographed her celebration of life. We had almost a thousand people there. And she was so loving. She used to tell us for her birthday, all she wanted was peace and quiet and for us to be kind and loving to each other. So she was a great woman. She's shaped a lot of who I am. And I just hope that I can instill the same energy, passion, and love to my clients and my friends and family. When you think back to your grandmother and to your mother, what did they instill in you? And how do you walk in their shoes every day? Because I think we do. This sounds funny to say, but they never cared what anyone thought of them. My grandmother used to tell me she never saw another female on the job. It was always just her. But she didn't realize that till years later. And I really believe that... It doesn't matter what others think of you as long as you're doing the right thing and you're working hard. And I looked at my mom and my grandmother and they could make anyone laugh. They would go into a room, whether it was full of men, full of women, they never cared, but they made sure that they heard everyone. They listened to everyone and they were always trying to help other people. In turn, by helping other people, it always helped them. So I think that as a woman leader and looking at the two of them, not caring what other people think of me, but knowing that I'm doing the right thing. And always, my grandmother used to say, it's free to smile. And I don't know why people don't do it more. Because when you smile, someone else will smile. Both of them were ray of lights. I'm thinking about this automotive business in Dorchester where it's all (laughs) word of mouth and it's all family. Tell me, do you know your way around a car? I think I do. I can change a tire. I can sand fenders. Me, myself, I'm a big car fan. So yes, I enjoyed growing up there. You must have watched your father work for very long hours and your mother too. What was the message in your house about work ethic and about hard work and how you make yourself successful? So my grandfather actually lived with us growing up and he used to always tell us the early bird gets the worm. 
So at our house, everything would be going off around 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And if you didn't get up when he told you to, there would be a pan of water in your bed on you. (laughs) I'm one of those people I love the morning. Getting up early, you can get a lot more done. And he used to also say a work ethic can speak for themselves. Watch someone at work. You'll see people go to the bathroom that saunter. You see people that go to the bathroom that run, that are always on a mission. I've, since I've been a kid, have had a work ethic that's instilled in me by all of these generations. It's hard to see it in the moment, but when you look back in a decade and see what you've accomplished, that's pretty neat. Let's talk a little bit about your college experience. Where'd you go to school and what did you study? So I went to school in Connecticut at Fairfield University, go Stags, and I was a business major with a specialty in finance, and I also minored in Spanish. Did you know what you wanted to do with that financial major in there, or did you kind of fall into that as you graduated? I think I was fortunate in the fact that I had an internship for a couple of different people in finance, one of them being my dad's advisor. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I just knew that wherever I would go, I would work as hard as I could and figure out what it was that was calling my name. And I happened to fall into an internship with my business partner, David. And fast forward, here I am now. But what I originally thought I would do, trading stocks and bonds and being an analyst, I'm much more client facing and developing business and developing relationships. So no, I didn't. David was definitely my biggest mentor, still is, and role model and helped me get through the program at Morgan Stanley and kind of always find me a leader or someone to talk to. But about six years ago, I started coaching. So I have an executive coach who I joke around and say, WWJD, what would Jeannie do? So she's on speed dial. She knows everything about me. And I don't think you can live without having some sort of coach or mentor because they just level you up. They make you a better person. And sometimes when you're a leader, you also need to be listened to because you can find yourself always doing the listening. What kind of leader do you want to be? It's a great question. I care so much about the people around me and my clients. And like my grandmother, my mom would do, I would give the shirt off my back to any of them. So I don't want to be known as a leader that is in it for herself or doesn't listen to anyone around her. If I win, I want everyone around me to win. So that's the kind of leader I want. I'd rather be on a team than necessarily be the coach. So I like being a team player. Relationship building is critical to success in any field and trust, especially when you are helping people make decisions about their own money. What role have relationships played in your business? Our entire business is about relationships. And I think the way that you can build the best relationship is to simply be genuine, be yourself, and you can't care what other people think of you, but you can listen to other people, you can make them feel good about themselves, and you can really genuinely want to help them. And for me, I can say that, but show it to me. So I think a lot of our clients get that from us. Really and truly, if any of them called me at one or two o'clock in the morning, I would answer the phone and see what they needed. I want to be their ice contact. Whatever they need, they want them to come to us first. And all of my relationships are like that. If I'm looking at my girlfriends or my cousins, they know that I'm going to be there for whatever it is that they need. And I'm usually the first call. 
Speaking of being there for people who need things, you've also done some great work in the community. Tell me about some projects and some charities that are of incredible importance to you. Unfortunately, in 2016, I lost my cousin to a battle with metastatic cancer. She was 36. She was the director of business development and sales at the convention center. She was amazing. And at her funeral, we couldn't believe the turnout, how many people she had helped. And talk about smiling, the best smile, always smiling. And her sister and I said, you know, we can do something about this. So we started a nonprofit called Marisa's Mission after her. We have raised almost $350,000. Every month we meet as a board and we give grants directly to families from Massachusetts, most of them on the South Shore. Our average grant is anywhere between five and 10,000. We pay mortgages, we help with treatments, we send children on vacations and parents, and it's changed our life. Cancer is really hard, so I think our organization's amazing and the fact that we're helping people at some of the toughest times of their lives. Tell us how people can make a donation to Marisa's mission. So you can go right on our site. It's marisas-mission.org. And you can make a donation right there. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? My grandfather used to tell me sometimes the long way around is the short way around. So I think when I have an obstacle in my path, I assess what it is and then trying to find a clear path to the other end. I'm not somebody who takes shortcuts. I don't mind rolling up my sleeves, but again, if there's something in the way, I'll find a way to get around it and make sure it's the right way. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? And can you pass that along to our listeners today? It can be personal or professional. This is a quote, but I do believe this in every part of my life. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I also think there's another piece of advice or a saying that says, you never know what someone else is going through when you talk to them. So be kind, smile. Life's hard enough. We are in a pandemic. (laughs) If you can be somebody that has good energy and people want to be around you, no matter what profession you're in, you know, you're a magnet. And that's really what I try to be and lifting up other people. Let's flash forward to 10 years from now for 12 points. Where do you and David hope the company will be? I hope we're on the same page on this, but we really are working hard to make this a national brand and a national company. So I hope that when you see 12 points in 10 years, we're on each coast. I would love to have a national brand and be known for who we are, not necessarily the product that we have or what we do. Right now, what does success mean to you? That is a hard question, but I will say I not only feel successful, but I feel lucky and fortunate. And success means to me getting up every day, enjoying and loving what you're about to go do with the people you're going to do it with. Because at the end of the day, it's really just who you associate yourself with and who you can help. And to me, success is being able to help others and enjoy the work that you do. Francesca Federico, I want to say thank you so much for coming to my makeshift recording studio here at my house. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you. Best of luck to 12 Points, and thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you, Candy. If you know someone that I should interview, reach out anytime. Tell me about her. Candy at CandyOterry.com. And thank you so much for listening. 
to the story behind her success. What's your story? 